Better Futures Minnesota's Reuse Warehouse has big news. We have a brand new online store. Check out ReuseBFM.com. This is a great way to see what we carry in the Reuse Warehouse. Appliances, building materials, kitchen and bath fixtures, lighting, flooring, lumber, heating and cooling items. Don't miss the beautiful benches and COVID safety shields that are hand-built using reclaimed wood from our deconstruction projects. Check out ReuseBFM.com. That's ReuseBFM, as in Better Futures Minnesota.com. Hello, humans. Hello, humans. It's me, Ellie Krug, on AM 950 in lovely Eden Prairie, Minnesota, also known as part of the Twin Cities. Hello. Hello. Happy Saturday to you. Happy, happy cold February day to you. Um, It is um, an icebox here, and that is about all that I'm going to say right now. Thank you for that, Ellie. Welcome to another edition of Ellie 2.0 Radio, where we talk about idealism and idealists, people who work to make the world a better place one way or another. And sometimes, as you will hear today in the big interview, it's just even small acts of goodness can generate more acts of goodness in return. We have a great show. The big interview, as I said, is with an idealist. Um, I talked about Sam Hamas. Um, last week, he launched a GoFundMe uh, for a Hy-Vee grocery store cashier um, who did a nice deed for him. And, and you're going to love uh, hearing uh, Sam talk about that and talk about how his GoFundMe has brought out people of all ilk wanting to just be good to each other. So, And in my C block, you know, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, something that happened to me um, – uh, that uh, touches my sentimentality. You know, I'm a very sentimental person. I'm a sentimentalist, and I'm going to share a little bit of a story about that. Um, that's not necessarily so much about a being an idealist as much as um, just being a parent. Okay, but let's begin now by recognizing that February is Black History Month, which has its origins with black historian Carter Woodson and the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History, um, announcing in 1926 – so remember, the word Negro was used back then – announcing in 1926 that the second week of February would be, quote, Negro History Week. The week wasn't chosen, uh, you know, just randomly. Uh, the week was chosen because it coincided with the birthdays of Abraham Lincoln and Fred- Frederick Douglass. They were born eight days apart. Um, and they were uh, – Lincoln and Douglas were two people celebrated by the black community since the late 1800s. Obviously, we know why. Eventually, in 1976, President Ford recognized Black History Month officially. Um, and every year since then, it has grown into um, – grown in acceptance and significance and understanding. Now, let me turn though to one of the most idealistic – um, people of the black community, Rosa Parks. Um, she is our featured idealist for uh, this week. To prepare for day, today's show, I look back on the history of this show. I mean, we've done nearly 160 episodes of LE 2.0 Radio, and incredibly, I have never highlighted Rosa Parks before today. 
I am sure it's because I thought everyone was already familiar with her story. It turns out that we probably aren't fully aware of the full story about Rosa Parks. I'm now going to pull heavily, and I mean heavily, from a February 1, 2021 New York Times article by Jean Theo Harris, T-H-E-O-H-A-R-I-S. She's a professor of political science and the author of 11 books on the civil rights movement. Uh, the, the New York Times piece that I'm referencing, February 1, 2021, is titled, quote, The Real Rosa Parks Story is Better Than the Fairy Tale, unquote. The article in part reveals that Rosa Park was born in 1913 in uh, Tuskegee, Alabama. By the time she was 18, I mean, it was not, it was not a long, uh, uh, it didn't take long for Rosa Parks to show up as an idealist. By the time she was 18, she was active in civil rights and she was helping to organize the defense of the Scottsboro Boys. They were nine black teens falsely accused of raping two white women. Um, in uh, uh, in the early 1930s. And it was during that work that Rosa met her husband, Raymond Parks. And by the time Rosa Parks was 20 years old, she and Raymond Parks were married. For 20 years after that, while Rosa Parks and her husband lived in Montgomery, Alabama, Rosa worked to make the Montgomery NAACP chapter more active, fo- focusing on voter registration, desegregation, and criminal justice. It wasn't easy work in the heart of Jim Crow country, but Rosa Parks persisted. And at this point, let me note that Rosa Parks wasn't the first black woman arrested for refusing to give up her seat on a bus. In fact, in March 1955, just that would be seven months before Rosa Parks was arrested. So in March of 1955, a 15-year-old black teen by the name of Claudette Colvin was arrested for refusing to give up her seat on a Montgomery bus. The problem was, as um, as people trying to figure out a strategy on how to um, defeat uh, segregation in Montgomery, the problem was this 15-year-old year old Claudette Colvin was deemed, quote, too feisty and emotional, unquote, to represent the needed role model to take on the issues and to take them to the next level. So seven months later, on December 1, 1955, Rosa Parks was the black woman Montgomery police arrested for refusing to give up her seat. She's purported to have said to the arresting officers, quote, why do you push us around, unquote. At that point, all of Rosa Parks' hard organizational work um, for the Montgomery NAACP and for other organizations in Montgomery paid off. Using the networks that they had created, um, leaders in Montgomery, black leaders, decided to organize a one-day bus boycott. And that was to coincide with the day that Rosa Parks was to be arraigned. So that would have been just a few days after her arrest. Using 50,000 uh, leaflets spread across the, the uh, city, put in churches, barbershops, and schools, the leaflets talked about um, Rosa Parks' arrest and urged everyone for that just that one day to uh, boycott using the buses. Um, and it turned out um, that it was successful. Uh, that boycott worked. A lot of people boycotted the buses. And at that point, they decided <clears> – <throat> We're not just going to do it for one day. We're going to do it 
until we can bring the city of Montgomery to its knees and understand that it has to desegregate its buses. Now, there was also a federal lawsuit filed right after Rosa Parks was arrested. <clears throat> that federal lawsuit was aimed at getting uh, the city to desegregate its bus, uh, its public transportation. So they went forward with the boycott to continue more than one day. And by the time everything was uh, running smoothly, um, they had a, a whole cadre of private vehicles that would stop at 40 pickup stations in Montgomery. And they, those private cars were shuttling 30,000 black Montgomerians around town every day as the boycott was happening. Um, ridership in Montgomery's buses dropped dramatically and the city started to suffer financially. The city then fought back and it charged 89 people um, with organize, who organized the boycott. They, they charged them with an old law, an old anti-syndication law and Rosa Parks was one of those 89 who was charged. Now, you may recall the picture of Rosa Parks with her um, dressed very nicely holding uh, – Holding a, it was a mugshot holding a number that would have been her number assigned to her by the you know, law enforcement people. And many people ascribe that to her, the day she was arrested with the bus. And no, that was actually the day she was – that mugshot happened the day that she was arrested for helping to organize the boycott. Ultimately, the federal court ordered Montgomery to desegregate its city buses. And Rosa Parks and, uh, uh, and the League of Supporters – they won. They beat the city of Montgomery. But as Jean Theo Harris uh, so eloquently notes in her New York Times piece, the story didn't end there for Rosa Parks. She paid an enormous price for her bravery. Um, Rosa Parks um, quickly lost her job as a seamstress at a um, major department store in Montgomery. And then her husband Raymond also lost his job as a barber at a nearby Air Force base. The family received many death threats, so many, so much so, so much um, uh, chaos in their lives as a result of Rosa's bravery in saying, no, nope, I'm not going to give up my seat, that eight months after Rosa's arrest, um, the family moved north to Detroit where Rosa's brother and cousins lived. But that didn't end their struggling. I mean, the, the, both Rosa and her husband struggled to find work in Detroit. And um, maybe they – I mean while they found some jobs, they, they didn't get back financially to where they had been in 1955. They didn't get back to that point until 1966, 11 years after Rosa's arrest. I mean think about that. Think about the price that Rosa Parks play, uh, had to pay, she and her husband. In Detroit, Rosa Parks continued her work. She fought against the North version of racism. Among other things, she viewed Malcolm X as her hero and she supported the Black Panthers. In many ways, the Black Panthers, um, were, they were the young people trying to foment change, young people of color trying to foment change. Think of Black Lives Matter, trying to, young people trying to foment change. In summary, Rosa Parks paid quite a price for her bravery. And that's not something we usually hear. Um, and, and the story continues today, actually. Our young idealists in Congress, AOC, Ilhan, Cori Bush, Ariana Presley, and Rashid uh, Talab, uh, they are all paying a price. 
uh, Rashida, um, you may have heard her um, in Congress uh, this week uh, sobbing about the death threats that she has gotten. There and, and of course, um, you may have heard of AOC talking about being afraid that the insurrectionists were coming for her. Our young idealists, they continue to pay a price just like Rosa Parks did. Death threats, personal attacks. This business of being an idealist isn't easy and it's not for the faint of heart. Thank God some people are brave because we owe brave idealists so very much. Okay, that's the end of my A block. I uh, hope you've enjoyed that story. Go and and uh, check out the New York Times piece by uh, uh, Jeannie Theo Harris. The Rosa Parks story is better than the fairy tale. When we come back from our break, I'm going to interview Sam Hamus. You're going to hear from a young uh, a man who um, was touched by another human's generosity. I think his story will touch you as well. Thanks. If you're looking to save money on your home or building improvement project, check out Better Futures Minnesota's reuse retail warehouse in South Minneapolis. We carry salvage building materials such as cabinetry, flooring, plumbing fixtures, appliances, lighting, and more, saving you money and saving the planet by keeping these items out of the landfill, by giving them another life. Selections change daily, and we also take donations. Go to betterfuturesminnesota.com and look under Reuse Warehouse to learn more. Let us know AM950 sent you. Hello, this is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Saturdays at 10 a.m. Many listeners know that I train on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming to diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on equity and dismantling racism. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change how they see the world. And now I'm doing all of my work online so everyone can attend regardless of where you're located. For more information, go to elliekrug.com. Thank you. I look forward to hearing from you. And we're back on AM 950. Ellie Krug here, uh, Ellie 2.0 Radio. Now listen, um, check out uh, that story in the New York Times that I told you about. It really gives you the other side of the Rosa Parks story. And so now um, I've got a continuation from last week. So listeners, if you were in last week, you know that last week um, I talked about uh, – I, I gave you a story about a man in Cedar Rapids um, – Interacting with a high V uh, cashier, uh, the cashier spotted the man um, twelve dollars uh, to pick up uh, finish up his groceries uh, because uh, the gentleman, uh, the customer, did not have the full twelve. And then, and then, then in turn, the customer um, went and did a GoFundMe for to help raise some money to thank the uh, cashier. And I said I would have the customer. His name is Sam Hamas. On, I said that we would have him, and he is here. Sam, are you there? I am here. Sam, welcome to LE 2.0 Radio, and thanks so very much for being on my show. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the yeah, listeners... Me. Oh, you're welcome. The listeners who came from, you know, were on last week sort of have an idea, but I would love it if you would kind of take us through what happened at the... Oakland Road, Hy-Vee in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, back on uh, January 8th. 
it, you know, in the scheme of the world, as you and I have talked, it's not all that big, but in the scheme of the world, it's pretty big. So, um, <laughs> so go ahead and, and why don't you recount for us, please? Sure. So, um, <clears throat> just a, was a normal day for me and, uh, we were having some company over uh, after work that night and, um, I realized that uh, I'm kind of a forgetful person, and uh, as many of us are, and had forgotten my wallet at home that day, and uh, you know needed to get some groceries before these friends came over, um, and we had some other doctor's appointments and things that were going on. So I was I was pretty short on time, and I knew that I did not have time to go home, get my wallet, go back to the grocery store, and get all the things done that I needed to. So I had a, a coworker that was gracious enough to. Uh, give me a hundred dollars. Uh, he had a hundred dollar bill on him and I, you know, it was easy. I just, you know, sent him Venmo money and, you know, that was settled. And so I go to the grocery store and start putting my, my stuff in my cart to get, get ready for our guests. And it, it slowly starts becoming apparent to me as I'm getting up to the counter or the cashier's counter that, you know, I, I probably had more than a hundred dollars worth of groceries in my bag. And, uh, you know, that we've all probably been there before, but that's kind of a nerve wracking thing to have happen just because you don't want to hold other people up and you don't want, you know, you, all these things are going through your head. Oh my gosh, these people think that I, you know, I can't pay for my own groceries and just all sorts of nervous feelings that go through your mind. And sure enough, I get to the checkout and, um, I came out to $112 and some spare change. And that was no big deal. You know, I just said, hey, here, you know, I'll put a couple things back. And without skipping a beat, the gentleman behind the counter, his name was, at the time, I only know him as Peter M. Uh, by his name tag, uh, Peter, without skipping a beat, uh, didn't hesitate. He came over to the other side of the counter and he put his debit card in to the machine and he paid for the difference. And you, you hear that and, you know, many people probably think, oh, you know, that nice gesture. But for whatever reason, that struck a different chord with me. Um, I've had people do nice things for me before, certainly no, no question about that. But for whatever reason, this gesture really um, just had a different feeling for me. <clears throat> and so, you know, he did that and I insisted, you know, that wasn't necessary. He said, you know, he wanted to do that. And this was a three or four minute interaction. Right. For whatever reason, that, that feeling stuck with me for, you know, the next week. And I had kind of rumbled around in my head said, you know, I want to do something nice for this guy. I'm like, you know, I could write him a, write him a nice thank you letter and give him a hundred bucks or 50 bucks or something like that. But then I said, you know what? The power of social media is pretty, pretty, uh, apparent these days. And I knew that I had a lot of supportive friends that, you know, I thought would read this story and feel touched by the story. So what I did was I, I set out to raise a thousand dollars for Peter <laughs> M. Uh, his name's Peter M. Bonabucha. And, uh, he, or sorry, within an hour, um, we had raised over a thousand dollars, which was my original goal was to get him a thousand dollars. Oh my gosh. You know, from there, in just yeah, an hour. Yeah. Holy cow. Okay. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. So, you know, by this time it, I was shocked by how much we raised that fast. So I go back to the store and I talked to the store manager and then within a matter of a couple days, I had media outlets reaching out to me cause this story had kind of spread, um, which was, which was a great feeling, but at the same time, it was a little overwhelming because I, I wasn't expecting that to happen. Right. I knew that I had good support and we would be able to raise, you know, a, a, a fair amount of money, but, um, you know, it, it kind of took off more than I expected. And a lot of people were touched by the story. And, um, you know, I'm happy to say that as of today, I most recent look at the GoFundMe page, we had raised, um, a little over $5,000, about $5,400 for Peter. 
Well, let's just make it exact because I looked at it five minutes ago, Sam, and it's $5,444 that you raised with uh, the goal of originally just $1,000. Um, and yeah. you know the go and your GoFundMe is t- is uh, titled the twelve dollar impact GoFundMe and and so and 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 so carry us forward. So you, you got I mean originally you got the thousand dollars and and then you had some money and then what what happened? Did you go back to the store and give the money to Peter? Well, so actually I have not even. I'll back up. So. We had, after the media kind of got a hold of this, High V decided that they wanted to, you know, do some, um, you know, some a story around it too. And so, what we did was, uh, I, I upped the goal from a thousand to three thousand dollars. Okay. And so, about a week and a half ago, we went back to the store and completely surprised Peter. He was, he didn't remember me. I didn't expect him to remember me. You know, that was a three or four minute interaction. He probably has done that for many, many people in in his lifetime. Um, but it stuck with me. And so we actually went back to him and we kind of presented him with, I don't know if you, if you've ever seen happy Gilmore, they get those big fake checks that they present to people. We, uh, <clears throat> we presented him with a fake $3,000 check cause we were around that amount at that time. So it's actually going to be a little bit more of a surprise. You know, if he's been following along on the GoFundMe, he'll certainly know that, that more is coming, but, um, he originally thought there was going to be $3,000 and we're going to present him with a check of over $5,000 now. <laughs> and yes. And, <laughs> you know, and, and so this story caught me, um, be, you know, of course, because uh, my listeners know that I'm originally from Cedar Rapids and my heart still lies in Iowa. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, but the story caught me because it was, you know, in many ways, an ordinary act of generosity by someone. Okay, and then, mm-hmm. and then it it has been repaid. You know, many many times over by strangers, right? You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I've looked at the donations that are coming in for the GoFundMe. I mean, almost all of them are more than twelve dollars. You know, so I mean, yep. you have indiv- and uh, um, as of five minutes ago, you had two hundred and forty eight donors. And so you have people that are repaying his generosity more than what he he was to you, and and to me that is contagious. Okay, and Very. you know, and 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 it, and it also I think reinforces for us that we want to have a society that you know we we want to be good to each other. Now I've got it. We've got to take a break, Sam. Okay, but when we come back, all right, I want to talk more with you about. How this has changed you, okay? And your way of looking at the world. That's really why I wanted to have you on this show. Okay? All right? Okay. All right, listeners, we're speaking to uh, Sam Hamus from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, who is the author, the originator of The $12 Impact. When we come back from our break, we'll talk some more with Sam. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. We'll be back in a sec. Hi, Alex of Better Futures, Minnesota. Does your business or organization need janitorial services, lawn care, or snow services? Obtain a free, no-obligation estimate from Better Futures Minnesota when you mention that you heard about us on AM 950. Our supervised, hardworking, and affordable crews will handle your interior and exterior building and property maintenance needs while you help men in your community transform their lives and walk on a positive path to success. It's a win-win. To learn more, go to BetterFuturesMinnesota.com under Business Services.
And we're back on LE 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Um, before we took our break, we were talking to Sam Hamus from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, um, who is the originator of the $12 uh, Impact GoFundMe to, to help, to benefit, to, to say thank you for the generosity of a man named uh, Peter uh, Monabucha from – uh, who is a cashier at the Hy-Vee on Oakland Road in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Um, and here in the Twin Cities, many people are familiar. There are a number of Hy-Vee stores here. And, you know, one of Hy-Vee's things is a smile in every aisle. That's their um, one of their logo, you know, slogans. And uh, Peter went uh, more the distance. Sam, before we broke, okay, we were talking about how, um, you know, you wanted to raise a thousand first. You did that within an hour and then you shifted the goalpost to three thousand dollars, and you've raised more than that. And you're, you know, you're approaching fifty-five hundred dollars as a thank you. What are you hearing from people across America about how this just this very simple story has impacted them? Yeah, you know, um, I not only friends and family has obviously reached out to me, and you know said congratulations or, you know, this story touched their lives in a, in a certain way, one way or another. But, um, you know, I've, I've been following along other news stations and comment sections of places that people have been, you know, giving their feedback on it. And I'm happy to say that I literally have not seen a single negative comment from anybody. And it doesn't take long for us to go on social media anymore nowadays and have a, somebody has a feel good story and there's always somebody that's got a yeah, but, or a, well, what if you did this differently? And right. I'm, I'm really proud and happy to say that everybody has been very supportive that, you know, we need more of this in our world. Um, this is the type of story that I want to hear. Uh, you know, finally something that doesn't divide us, you know, things of that nature that I think really was, you know, if I could have thought of what, you know, what's the end goal of what do I want to get out of this besides impacting Peter's life? It's just, letting people know that we've got a lot more in common with each other than we might care to admit or that we, we talk about. And, uh, you know, this was just an interaction between two people that knew nothing about each other and both, both, uh, you know, paying it forward to each other. Well, you know, and I think that we need to note, I mean, Peter, you know, was, is not, was not born in the United States. You know, he's an immigrant Mm -hmm. from, you believe, uh, Tanzania and, yeah, I think that's you know, and of course how this fits into, you know, what has been a narrative, you know, of, you know, he's an immigrant, he's, you know, taking our jobs and, you know, and all of that stuff. And it turns out that Peter, this person not born in the United States, is incredibly generous to everyone. Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, yep. so, so Sam, how has this impacted you? Because, you know, it, it came out of left field it sat with you for a while before you did the GoFundMe. I mean, you did not like run out the t- run out the door and then do a GoFundMe the next day, which is, you know, right. I think I told you before um, uh, we got on the show that I I do go f- I follow GoFundMe's, okay, because it f- fits into the work that I do as a trainer and and humanist and idealist. Many of those GoFundMe's are, you know, like launched within a day or something of, of a good act happening. So what? Yep. What marinated within you and, and how has this changed your, your, you know, how were, what was the Sam like before he got in the line? Okay. You know, and I don't want to make it any bigger than what it is, but what was the Sam like sure. before he got in the line at Hy-Vee and what was the Sam like 
as he walked out of the store after Peter had done his act of generosity? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I don't know that I've, <clears throat> you know, had a, a huge change in my life. I've always um, thought and believed strongly in giving back to people that may not, may be less fortunate. And not even to say that Peter was that, just paying it forward, just doing good things for good people. Um, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, over the last four, five, six, seven, how many years, there's been a lot of divisiveness that comes up from politics. And, you know, I didn't know anything about Peter. He didn't know anything about me and just two people doing a good deed for each other. I mean, to me, more than anything, it just gives me faith and hope that, you know, everything that you read online and see in the media is not necessarily what's happening in the real world. And I think this is a testament to, you know, some of the good things that people are doing. And I just hope that it encourages other people to want to do good things for strangers, not because, you know, they want to be, you know, recognized for it, but just because it's the right thing to do. Um, and I think for me, it's just reiterated the fact that being generous and paying it forward and, and doing things for people that, you know, maybe you don't even have anything in common with. Um, there's still a lot of, good that can come out of that. And so for me, it's just inspired me to continue to do those types of things, to encourage other people to do those types of things. It doesn't have to be monetary. It doesn't even have to be a big thing. You know, it's as simple as people holding the door for each other anymore. I mean, you wouldn't, I'm sure you guys have experienced it where, you know, somebody doesn't, uh, you know, hold the door for you anymore. It's such, such a simple gesture. Right. And I think those little things add up to bigger things in the end. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I, I, you know, my personal theory, um, Sam, is that there are millions of a day, there are Peters, okay, doing, you know, good Mm -hmm. things for other people. I mean, millions of day, you know, times a day, acts of generosity happen, but they're not sexy, you know? And so we don't right. hear about that on the news. I mean, there, there's no good news, you know, there's no good news <laughs> network, okay? <laughs> you know? Right. At least that's not right. uh, mainstream. And, and, and so, and, and then I think part of this, Sam, is that it's a story, okay? And you, you, you've been on the show here telling this story, and we are a society of storytellers and story listeners. That is really how we do that's how we learn. I mean, you could say, okay, it's always good to be, you know, to help another person to be generous. That's one thing. But when we hear the story of somebody having done that, okay, and then in return, someone doing, wanting to do good for that person, and then an outpouring of nearly 250 people saying, oh, yeah, I got this as well for you. I'm going to help you out. It's that kind of storytelling that gets us motivated, I think to want to have a better place, better world. Yes. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, that's a, that's a great point. And it it was kind of funny um, when we had the interaction, when I had the interaction with Peter and, you know, he didn't really know what was going on. It was a complete surprise for him. Um, You mean when when you came and uh, presented the check? Yes. Okay. Go on. Yeah. When we, when we did that media interview, um, you know, he kind of touched his heart when we said what we were doing. And when he was talking about it at the end, you know, he made a comment that I didn't expect anything back. I, I, I just want to do the right thing. I do that. I've done this for many people in my life. And, you know, to me, that's just like, he's, he's done that. Who knows how many times he's probably done it 50 times for other people. And, um, 
doesn't expect anything in return. I think that's something to take away too. Doing good deeds for people doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to necessarily get something back in return for it. Right. Um, and so, but that's what, that's what doing the right thing is about. It's doing it because you know, it's the right thing, not because you're going to get something in return. It's altruism, you know, and, um, and, and we have, it's a, altruism is a value that has, um, really taken a back seat, um, in recent years. And, and we need to have altruism because that's what reinforces the fabric of our country, right? You know, yep. sacrificing mm-hmm. for other people, doing for other people. I mean, that's how we built, you know, this country in many ways. I mean, there is some dark parts of our country being built as well, um, which mm-hmm. we don't need to get into. But Sam, um, before we go, I, you know, you and I talked beforehand and you've been kind enough to talk with me and, and uh, you know, take me up on my request that you be on the show. I just want the audience and, and you and I talked about this and you gave me permission, you know, you, you described yourself as fiscally conservative and socially liberal. And, you know, you have a good job down in Cedar Rapids. Uh, you, you know, you, you had some advantages in life. And I only point that out because I think that, you know, the common perception, and it may very well be by many of these listeners here, is that you have to be like liberal, liberal on everything to be able to, you know, understand the generosity of other humans and to want to give back. And that is not the case at all, right? I mean, you've been hearing from people who are all – all across the spectrum, right? On a, on, as oh, absolutely. I mean, I've, yeah, I did, one of the things that you and I had talked about um, prior to this was, you know, I, I have friends on both sides of the spectrum and far left, far right, middle, and I had people, all of those people supporting this. And I guess it was a refreshing thing to, to not have somebody bring politics into something. It was just literally people wanted to do a good thing for somebody because they heard a good story and it made them feel good inside themselves too, which is what it did for me. And, um, you know, that was pretty powerful. And I think a big takeaway for me, um, people giving to a complete stranger. I mean, he was a stranger to me and I told the story about him and you got people that didn't even know what this guy looked like or anything. They just took some stranger myself, uh, took my word for it of what the story and what happened. And they're like, you know what? I like this and I'm going to contribute to that. And I think that's pretty powerful. And it, and it reinforces that we all have good hearts, Sam. We do. Yep. You know, we, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I have a saying 98% of us are good empathetic people, 2% total sociopath, but the other 98% <laughs> are good people. The problem is we're either not paying attention to exercise or empathetic hearts or we're afraid. You know, we're afraid we're going to get in over our head. You know, and Sam, I, I you know, I just want to applaud you, okay? Because this has taken up time in your life. Right. I mean, you know, you, you know, you in a good way, in a good way. Well, I know. But way. but still, I mean, I'm sure that you're a very busy person in a variety of ways. But but you've allowed your empathetic heart to show up, Sam. You know, that was on top of Peter's empathetic heart showing up for you. And then yep. what you did is you were a vehicle through GoFundMe to allow other people at this point, 248 people's empathetic hearts to show up for Peter. See how this works. Yeah. yeah, it's contagious. It is contagious. We are hungry, 
hungry to be back to a place, to a time where we can all be good to each other. Aren't we? Jeez. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Sam, I just want to thank you for being on my show and giving me, again, more of your time here today to talk to us. I know that my listeners will appreciate what you have had to say. And and just, will you know from me, you have my my deepest respect and and my deepest thanks that you were willing to do something good for a human. And I am thrilled that it went viral, okay, because it helps all of us. Well, I appreciate it, and I uh, appreciate the time that you took with me to hear the story and, you know, expand even more people that get to hear it because uh, I hope it continues to have the same same type of impact that it's had on me and many others, uh, you know, around the country so far. So I really appreciate it. Okay. Well, thanks, Sam. All right, everyone. We've been speaking with Sam Hamus, who is the originator of the $12 Impact GoFundMe uh, to benefit a high V cashier by the name of Peter, who did something good for Sam. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. We'll be back in a second. Hello, this is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Saturdays at 10 a.m. Many listeners know that I train on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming to diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on equity and dismantling racism. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change how they see the world. And now I'm doing all of my work online so everyone can attend regardless of where you're located. For more information, go to elliekrug.com. Thank you. I look forward to hearing from you. Better Futures Minnesota's Reuse Warehouse has big news. We have a brand new online store. Check out reusebfm.com. This is a great way to see what we carry in the reuse warehouse. Appliances, building materials, kitchen and bath fixtures, lighting, flooring, lumber, heating and cooling items. Don't miss the beautiful benches and COVID safety shields that are hand-built using reclaimed wood from our deconstruction projects. Check out ReuseBFM.com. That's ReuseBFM, as in Better Futures Minnesota, dot com. On AM 950, LE 2.0 Radio, um, Sam Hamus, uh, he inspired me. I hope that um, he inspired you. Uh, you can go actually check out a story. Um, it's uh, titled The $12 Impact, Cedar Rapids Man Pays It Forward Following Heartfelt Gesture. Um, you can grab that off of KCRG TV in uh, Cedar Rapids, and you'll be able to get a picture of uh, Sam and of Peter out of that. Okay. Um, Yes, we ripple to each other. We do in so many ways. We have spent the last four years rippling to each other in such negative ways. It is so very good to have an America again where we positively ripple to each other, isn't it? Okay, so in my C block here where we are now, I usually talk about me as an idealist, the work that I do. I'm going to actually talk to you as me, about me as a sentimentalist and as a dad. So um, uh, without – we don't need to d- dive deep into the story. 
Uh, my regular listeners know I'm transgender. I transitioned genders 12 years ago um, when I was 52. And so f- I have two daughters. And for all of that time, I presented as male to them. And my daughters um, still still call me dad. And that's even though um, not not too shabby looking, uh, you know, newly senior blondish woman. Um, but they call me dad. <clears throat> Back when my kids were younger, um, I worked a lot. But when I wasn't working, I wanted to make sure that I spent time with them. And on many a Saturday or a Sunday, particularly in the winter, um, we would clear off the kitchen table. I'd pull out this big sheet of plastic that had, you know, little things on it, little designs and stuff. And then we'd get out either the paints, you know, or the we'd get out the the, the clay, the Play-Doh or whatever, and we would, you know, make things, okay? Trust me, I have a lot of pictures watercolor pictures made um, from those um, exercises, those events with my children. But um, one day, uh, my daughter and I, my oldest daughter, um, her name is Kate, she and I did a Play-Doh heart. It's a pink, her favorite color, pink heart. Um, Not all that big. It can fit in the palm of your hand. And I I wrote on that in, uh, you know, crisp letters, you know, um, Kate plus dad. And, um, and as it turned out, as I, you know, went through transitioning genders and all, it was a very painful experience for me as well, but way painful for my daughters in many ways. That pink heart, which eventually hardened, okay, so it's Play-Doh, but eventually it hardened kind of like clay. That pink heart became something really important to me. It did. And um, and I, I would leave it on. I've got a little kind of a credenza in my bedroom. And it was on that credenza, along with some other things, pictures that were important to me as well. But that pink heart in particular. And many of you know I moved recently. And I moved from downtown Minneapolis out to Victoria. And as I was packing up the things on the credenza, I made sure to, you know, I packed all of those in like cloth napkins or, you know, um, you know, not paper, but cloth napkins, you know, you can wrap them up easier. I've actually found that they really make great things to transport things that are fragile. And I, I wrapped up um, the pink heart in its own, you know, cloth napkin and put them in a banker's box, got all that stuff to my, my new house. Unpacked, set up the credenza again, put everything uh, from the credenza out, you know, from the the condo into the new house. And except I forgot the pink heart. I don't know how I did it, but I did. I forgot it. And I think probably I did not remember that I had wrapped it up with everything else. And I think that I was thinking it was in another box. However, on Saturday last week, I decided I needed to wash all of the cloth napkins because, you know, I'd use them for packing and some of them are dusty and dirty and all that stuff. So I threw them all into the dryer. Excuse me, I threw them into the washer. Washed, yeah, didn't give it any thought. Wash cycle ends, you know, my machine beeps. I go, open the door. And sitting there in the doorway of the washer was part of the pink heart 
And I have to tell you, I started sobbing. It was just too much and so symbolic of how things in some ways have fallen apart for me. I went through the the rest of the the things that I had washed trying to find the rest of the heart and, and there was nothing there. And, I, and I'm like, oh, it must have disintegrated. And this is all that I had. So um, heartbroken, I threw everything into the dryer, you know, and let it dry. And darned, um, if in the um, lint collector, the other two parts of the heart were there, missing a little bit. But the entire heart, I mean, it's in three pieces now, and it's back on the credenza. But you can make out the entire heart. And, you know, the Kate plus dad lettering. I can't tell you how important it was for me, even in its broken state, and maybe it's so symbolic that I got the heart back when I thought that I had lost it. I know, it's just something silly, but it's so important to me. All right, that's the end of our show. I need to um, thank my producer, Brett Johnson, who does absolutely great work here. And I want to thank you, listeners, for putting up with what is this is a different radio show, different radio programming. I know that. I hope you like it um, because I believe in the goodness of humans. And I am an idealist trying to make the world a better place. Will you please join me on that journey? Go do something good this week for another human. Let me know about it. Email me at lejkrug at gmail.com. I'll be back next week with more. Thanks. Thanks.